mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I felt I had no choice to preach through Luke after last week's setup. <laughs> no, no, it was, it was actually perfect because the Spirit had already led me there. And so we get to continue the story through Luke chapter 4. Um, and we left off with Father Brian uh, explaining to us the significance and the magnitude of what Jesus had just, um, had just proclaimed to his own people, his own hometown in Nazareth, that he stood up in the synagogue on a Sabbath day, read from Isaiah 61, and said, Today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And we left off with everybody's eyes fixed on Jesus, just staring at him. Jaws dropped. Jesus has just announced that he is the anointed one of Isaiah 61. And we pick up the story today with them collecting their jaws, you know, re- you know sort of reattaching them to their mouth. And this is where the trouble begins. As Father Brian said last week, there's the initial shock of a statement, and then there's this response, right? Then there's this response. And what do we hear the response? What do we hear is their response? Verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? You know, Joseph's son, the carpenter. You know, you go down the hill, you hang a right, past the olive tree, he's got the shop out front, the house is kind of behind him. You know, Joseph's son. Is this not Joseph's son? Uh, yeah, Jesus, that's his name. Right, yeah, Joseph's son, Jesus, yeah, he, was, he would work alongside his dad. Um, you know, I... Is, is he really saying what we think he's saying here? Does he really think that he could be the one, the Messiah, that Isaiah talked about so long ago? You know, all those people that come back from hearing John the Baptist come back with ideas, you know, just swirling around in their mind. This, this John the Baptist must be doing something, just riling everybody up. Because this is just Jesus' kid. Is this not Jesus' son or, or Joseph's son? If he is the Messiah, then I must be the king of Israel. You know. This is Joseph's kid. Joe's kid. And we see after the initial marvel and shock, they start to doubt what he had just said. Because they knew him. They were familiar with him. And their familiarity with his humanity ruled out his divinity in their minds. 
And in ruling out his divinity, Jesus' words lost authority in their hearts. And in disbelieving Jesus' authority, we'll come to find actually costs them their humanity, their eternity. Yes, they marveled. They marveled at Jesus' words. But they marveled only at Joe's kid, Joe's son. His words had no authority. And so it can be said of us, I think at times, when we grow up maybe so familiar with Jesus uh, that we might only know him as Joe's kid in so many words. Uh, We can marvel at his words. We can really appreciate his teachings. But do his words still carry the weight as a divine? Do they still have authority? I think we see this sort of familiarity to sort of rejection in our culture as well. Um, In 2003, Google set out to partner with all the universities in the world uh, to scan all the books, to digitally scan all the books in the world to form one gigantic database. Um, And of course, what happens? A bunch of lawsuits. And so they don't really accomplish this goal, though they're still working on it. And they they scan 25 million books, though. They're trying to have the next great Alexandrian library. They want to become the source. And in 2010, some Harvard and MIT nerds made this search engine so that you can search through all of Google's uh, word occurrences from all these books, 25 million books. Um, And it's, while it's not all the corpus of every language, it's still probably the most powerful search uh, that you can do in all written language in these different languages. And so, If we look at the English language uh, from 1800 to 2000 and we search Jesus and Christ, what do we see? We see here, it's called the engram. And if you have some extra time at work, it's really fun to sort of play around with. Uh, But we see Jesus and Christ. Christ is red, Jesus is blue. We see in 1800s, 1800 to 1840, we see quite a spike, especially with Christ, uh, the occurrences of these two words in the English language, and then just a steady decline, right, and sort of plateauing here. So this from familiarity to sort of not really even mentioning him, not really even talking about him, not really even, you know, he's not even occurring in our language much anymore. This familiarity to obscurity, this slow, meh. To use a business term, thanks Josh, to use a business term, we might be able to say Jesus is suffering from genericide. Genericide is, according to Oxford Dictionary, the process by which a brand name loses its distinctive identity as a result of being referred to, being used to refer to any product or service of its kind. So things like zipper, Kleenex, Monopoly. You know, these were actually brand names. These are actually things. We just use them and they're so commonplace. You know, they were so familiar with Jesus 
so familiar with his humanity that when his divinity comes to the fore, they just, eh. he's just another, he's just Joe's kid. Jesus' divinity suffers the genericide of his humanity in the eyes of his hometown. And we treat him the same way when his word goes in one year, not the other. One of my theology professors at Gordon-Conwell um, said that since Jesus is our all in all, most of heresy, most of false belief is really either exalting or diminishing his hum- humanity or his divinity. That we can really trace almost every heresy, every false belief, which leads to false uh, actions to a diminish or an over-exaltation of his humanity over his divinity or the other way around. Um, so if I dishonor my father or mo- mother, if I get drunk, if I go uh, and sleep with a woman out of wedlock, if I cheat on my taxes, if I withhold from my brother in need, I am devaluing or over-evaluating uh, this divinity or this humanity of Jesus. And it's most likely me just saying, well, that's just Joe's kid. That's just Joe's kid. Isn't this just Joseph's boy? His words have no authority in my life anymore. They're just going one year and out the other. And these laws just become, you know, yeah, just Joe's kid. Funny enough, there was a heretical Jewish Christian sect that came from Nazareth, (laughs) from the town of Nazareth, uh, after Jesus rose and ascended to heaven. Uh, which, you would guess, denied the virgin birth. (laughs) Called the Ebionites. And the Ebionites uh, really liked the Gospel of Matthew for a while, but then the Gospel of Matthew, of course, had the virgin birth, so they made their own Gospel. Um, And they said that Joseph and Mary was the biological parents of Jesus and and that Jesus was not born of the virgin woman. Um, the heresy was ultimately refuted in the Council of Chalcedon in 451, but Irenaeus, in his book Against Heresies, written in 180 AD, has this to say about them. He will also judge the Ebionites, for how can they be saved unless it was God who wrought out their salvation upon earth? Or how shall man pass into God unless God has first passed into man? And how shall he, man, escape from the generation subject to death if not by means of a new generation, given in a wonderful and unexpected manner by God, that regeneration which flows from the virgin through faith? And how shall they receive adoption from God if they remain in this generation which is naturally possessed by the man in this world? And how can he, Christ, have been greater than Solomon or greater than Jonah or have been the Lord of David who was of the same substance as they were. Jesus is not just Joseph's son. He is. He's Mary's son. Joseph raised him. He's not just Joseph's son, though. And we are acting as Ebionites if we simply marvel at his words, but they bear no weight in our hearts.
Luke fills out the scene uh, with Jesus' next trip, his new city. Um, There's seven days break between Nazareth and uh, Capernaum. You know, it's from one Sabbath into the next Sabbath. And a lot happens in the life of Jesus in seven days. <laughs> you know, but, but Luke intentionally, therefore, then puts these two stories right next to each other. He intentionally does this. He doesn't talk about all that stuff. He goes, Nazareth to Capernaum. And I think he's trying to make a point. It's a very similar synagogue service. Jesus walks into the service. He had already probably prayed the prayers before entering. They probably said the Shema. They probably had the readings. Whatever the case may be, at some point, a demon-possessed man, right, comes out and cries and just disrupts everything. And, and demons cannot stand fellowshipping with God. They cannot stand it. I've talked to two or three Anglican priests about exorcism, and I've talked to an exorcist, and they all say demons often manifest themselves in the presence of a worshiping community. They can't stand it. And so this demon, you know, they're worshiping, and, and he shrieks out, and he just can't stand it anymore. Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Jesus of Nazareth and the Holy One of God. Jesus is not simply and only Joseph's son. He's also the Holy One of God. He is also the Holy One of God. Jesus is not just Joseph's son. He is also the Holy One of God. And this is what we're going to talk about here or recite together uh, right after this sermon in the words of the Nicene Creed. Pay attention, especially with the section about Jesus. This is what we affirm as Christians. And we see that because he is the Holy One of God, he has authority. He has power, even over demons. For what happens next? But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And all were amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commanded unclean spirits, and they came out. Hmm. I want to continue the Irenaeus quote because he talks about this. Christ's divinity being necessary for being over the demons. Or how shall, starting quote, or how shall they receive adoption from God if they remain in this kind of generation which is naturally possessed by man in this world? And how can he have been greater than Solomon or greater than Jonah um, or had been the Lord of David, who was the same substance as they were? How, too, could he have subdued him who was stronger than men? How could he have subdued him who was stronger than men, meaning the devil? Who had not only overcome man, 
but also retained him under his power and conquered him who had conquered, while he set free mankind who had been conquered, unless he had been greater than man who had thus been vanquished. But who else is superior to and more eminent than that man who was formed after the likeness of God except the Son of God, after whose image man was created? And for this reason, he did in these last days exhibit the similitude. For the Son of God was made man, assuming the ancient production of his hands into his own nature, as I have shown in the immediately preceding book. End quote. Jesus is not just Joseph's son. He is the Holy One of God. And this is good news. This is what makes good news. He has power over demons. He has power over the man in this world, right? He has power to set us free. And this is how we, I think, should sort of understand Jesus visiting all these synagogues. He's going out recruiting. He's going from synagogue to synagogue to try to recruit followers that would come behind him and do the same thing he's doing. He's building an army of people that fulfill this Isaiah 61 prophecy to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery to the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who have been oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And not only is he recruiting, but he's doing it. Jesus' words reveal his identity, and his miracles reveal true reality, this kingdom that is coming through him. Jürgen Moltmann says uh, in his book, The Way of Christ, Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They are the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. Jesus is is bringing his kingdom. And everywhere he goes, what happens? People are fed. People are healed. Demons are cast out. (laughs) Forgiveness of sins is pronounced. He is bringing this. And in his wake, he is bringing along followers that go out and do the same thing. Bringing this reality, this new creation, really the only natural thing in a world that has been so demonized and broken. And the amazing good news is nothing is stopping him. Nothing can stop him. He's the Holy One of God. The only time that appears in the Bible, this title, Holy One of God. Holy One of Israel is very common in Isaiah and in other places, but the Holy One of God, the Son of God, as Irenaeus says, he is unstoppable. He demolishes anything in his path, any demon, anything. And he's freeing us as well from our sin, from our sickness, from our demons, asking us then to join in this amazing work, this amazing ministry. Jesus is not just Joseph's son. He is the Holy One of God. And so, uh, there is a, there is a, there is, we see two sort of responses here that I think sort of epitomize how we might respond to this word. Um, 
we see those in Nazareth and we see those in Capernaum do two different things. And the thing is, Jesus doesn't allow us just to be sitting and marveling as they did in Nazareth, right? He doesn't allow us just to sort of like marvel at his teachings. He, uh, he brings it to the Nazarites. I mean, he could have like walked out of there unscathed, no problem. But what does he do instead? <laughs> They're murmuring, and he raises a voice above their murmur. And going back to uh, 22, 23, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What you've heard in Capernaum do in your hometown as well. And then he says, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And then he puts them in their place. He says, you guys are just like the Israelites when Elisha and Elisha were here. You rejected your prophets, and therefore you rejected God. And so they turn immediately from marveling to murder. Real quick. And they justified this. Of course this was okay. And this is how the Jews justified killing Jesus. Blasphemy. This guy's saying he's the Christ. Of course. This is grounds for execution. So what do they do? <laughs> they get him, and, they, and they're like, probably in my mind, just you know, pushing him and pushing him, and they're trying just to you know, get him to the cliff where the town is built, and they're just, trying to, they're just trying to push him off the cliff. But of course, Jesus passes through. Passes through. I, mean, I think he, you know, it's Super Bowl Sunday. He kind of pulls an Emmett Smith and you know, just, <laughs> just, you know, somehow passes through. More likely, he's just like, I don't know. They rejected his word, and so they reject him, and they try to murder him. Jesus leaves no middle ground. He calls us out. <laughs> there is no middle ground with this, this one who proclaims this new creation. He's not just Joseph's son. He's also the Holy One of God. Quite an, a different response right in Capernaum. They see this demon that, that is cast out, and they respond with, What is this word? And here's the big difference. What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands unclean spirits that they come, and they come out. You see, his word bears authority for they recognize his divinity and see this new reality. So instead of throwing him off a cliff, what do we see them do? And reports about him spread throughout all the world. They just take it, and they just go. And they're, instead, they're, they're passing this along, and they're telling other people. And, and it spreads. The whole region, it says, learns that Jesus is not just Joseph's son. He is the Holy One of God. He's offering us, friends, a place, a position, a purpose in his ranks, in his army. And we can be like those Capernaums, who take God's word and go and tell because the Holy One has come and nothing can stop him. Nothing can stop him. Jesus is not just Joseph's son. He is the Holy One of God. Amen.